Hello and welcome to Radiance and Resilience. I'm your host, Betty Parker. Today we talk equity, what it means, how to create it in the workplace, and tough questions to be asked if you're not sure it exists where you work. Our guest today is an expert in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Her name is Elizabeth Ruffin, and she's a diversity and inclusion strategist and owner of the Everyday Inclusionist, where she strategically helps companies reach their inclusion goals through root cause analysis, classroom instruction, experiential learning, mentoring, self-discovery, workshops, and systemic technological approaches. I'm happy to have her on Radiance and Resilience today, and after the break, we unpack what it is to go beyond beyond equality and discuss what it is to be equitable. Stick around. Hi, Betty. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for joining us on Radiance and Resilience today. I really do need your expertise on this topic. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's hop into it. So I'm on this quest. If anybody's been listening throughout this season, I'm on this quest to save the world, to bring the world together one conversation at a time is what I'm saying. And so in all of the conversations I've been having this season around diversity, equity, and inclusion matters, we've talked a lot about all diversity matters, discrimination around race and all these other areas, as well as how to be more inclusive. But equity has not been brought to the forefront in a way that I think it should. It's always a byproduct of these other topics. Mm. So can we focus a little bit on that? And for our audience, can you help them to understand a little bit when we say equity, what do we mean? That's a really great question. You know, equity is really about leveling the playing field. Right. Right. And so making sure that people have equal opportunities, right, equitable opportunities. So the way I like to describe it is if you've ever watched, you know, track and field, uh, that's one of my favorite sports, actually, during the Olympics. I love watching the races. Um, And if you if you ever look at like a longer race, you'll notice that the people are staggered. They have a staggered start. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's because the way that the track is set up, the inside lanes are actually shorter than Mm -hmm. the outside lanes. And so they have a staggered start so that everybody has an equitable chance to win that race. And that's really what equity is. Mm -hmm. It's staggered starts so that everyone has an equitable chance to win the race. Now, sometimes in the world, I guess, especially we want to talk about the work world, but I, I choose this topic to also discuss things that are happening just in society. You know, uh, we can talk about work, but also in society, we know that there are people who in their starts, they don't get a fair shake. They don't get that equitable start. Right. So how does that play out in terms of those people who feel like when folks from a, a minority group or underrepresented group somewhere is asking for more, they somehow think they're asking for more than they deserve. hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that and that happens all the time. You know, you hear people now say, hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, work hard the same way that I did. But we have to realize that there's so much that goes into it. Let's take, for example, in the workplace. Okay, Um, you know, I talk a lot about unconscious bias and how it plays out. Right. And really what unconscious bias is, is that we're attracted to those things in which we have common with other people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, if there's a happy hour after work, right, um, you're going to 
most likely talk to those people you have something in common with, right? Yeah. Um, or let's even talk about the fact of a happy hour, right? You might have someone who they can't attend a happy hour because they have to go pick up their kids after work, okay? But now this person has had that opportunity to talk with the boss in a relaxed setting, right? Mm. Now you have people who have, now you have an edge up, right? Um, I'll give Mm -hmm. you another example. At a company I used to work for, um, we always have a United Way auction and different leaders would, um, you know, would submit prizes that people could bid on. Well, um, the CEO would always have a prize of a private golf session with him, right? Mm. Which is amazing, right? Because you get that, what, two to three hours FaceTime with the CEO. I mean, imagine what kind of visibility that is. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about that because golf is primarily, right, a white Mm -hmm. male activity, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also comes with financial, right? Right. Um, you know, you, you got to have the money to, <laughs> to, to yeah. play golf. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is it kind of cuts out a lot of the population from having that privilege, having that visibility face-to-face time with the CEO. Mm-hmm. So it's situations like that where I think we need to be more open of how can we provide more equitable opportunities for people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we see that in every aspect of life. I mean, if you think about health healthcare disparities among um, mm-hmm. minorities, uh, you know, access is a big deal, right? So it's about, you know, okay, I want to make sure that I get the same care that you're getting, whoever you is, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and mostly it's the larger white population. But somehow because maybe I'm growing up in an area that might be rural or maybe not, uh, it might be a lower income area or whatever. I'm not able to get the same things you are yet. You have these expectations of me that match yours. And so I don't think people really recognize that that's where the inequities come. And look, I, I, I say minorities. Um, I've kind of gotten pushback on that in one of my training classes because the person who was thinking of the word, they thought of it in terms of being minor. Right. Mm. And so I'm like, it's strictly numbers. Okay. When we look at the numbers, um, black Americans only make up about, I don't know, I've heard anywhere from 12 to 14% Mm -hmm. of the total population. So, in terms of numbers, we are a minority and so are many other people of color and different ethnicities. Nonetheless, um, when we're underrepresented in certain areas, it is very difficult pe- uh, difficult for people who don't understand where we're coming from to be able to accept that when we say, hey, we look, we're over here. Hey, you know, kind of waving our hands. We want some of the same access. Um, we get a whole lot of pushback, like somehow we're asking for more than what they have. Yes. And so, yeah. So, and when I look at women, I mean, cause I was talking about minorities, women now make up half the population like men. So they're no longer considered, we are no longer considered a minority, but when it comes to equal pay there again, there's a lack of equity there. And I've seen so much pushback yes. on that topic. I mean, hateful, hateful things when you go out in some of these forums and you hear people get angry about that. What, what's that about, you think? Well, when when you're used to privilege, right, <laughs> sharing that privilege feels like a threat, right? Yeah. But you talked about numbers. Let's look at some numbers here in South Carolina, okay? Women make 76 cents on the dollar to white mm-hmm. men. Yep. But that's white women. Okay. Right. Black women make 53 cents on the dollar to mm-hmm. white men. So when you look at strictly the numbers, 
that does not say equity. Right. Right. That doesn't say equity. Um, and that, and, and the numbers are like that because of access to jobs, right? So it, there's two factors. There is the factor of being paid less for doing the same job, but there's also the factor of not even having access to the same jobs. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of black women who are doing blue collar, you're doing labor related jobs and those pay less. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it's really hard for people. And I've even heard, you know, uh, white men in particular saying, hey, you know, I feel like the opportunities are going to be less for me. I feel like I need to work on my resume. I feel like this is, you know, I'm going to start. But when you look at the numbers, the numbers have not shifted much at all, if mm-hmm. any. Yeah. At all. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it feels like a threat. And why I don't that part. Yeah. And that's the that's why we get so much of the pushback. And to me, that's the most frustrating part, because I don't perceive just based on what I've heard when I've talked to women or even watch them in these different forums, because I like to watch these CEOs of female CEOs who have had great successes. Of course, the numbers are minuscule when it comes to the Fortune 500. We you can count mm-hmm. them on one or two hands, how many women are in those positions. But the numbers bear out that when they are in those leadership positions, they've been quite successful. We've seen revenues increase. Now, we don't know if there's a direct correlation, but I tell you what, they haven't necessarily gone down in a lot of instances and that's not a hundred percent but we have seen greater success when we've had women on boards uh with certain organizations and when they have been uh elevated to these levels of uh executive leadership yes so that's not necessarily a threat that's an actual benefit and i i would think people would want to look at how is this going to help my organization by putting a qualified person who happens to be a woman in this position absolutely i mean research shows that when when a company focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, they have higher operating profits, mm-hmm. they have better innovation, they have greater employee retention, right? Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is good for business. That it's has been proven time yes. and time again. Yes, yes. So, so true. But okay, so somehow that not that message hasn't resonated. So I'm going to go back to that word. You say it was a threat. It's a threat. It's this feeling. So what do they feel threatened by that? They're going to lose what? Their power. Ah. Their foothold, right? Their leadership. Um, It's funny. I was doing a a training once with a group of sales leaders and um, there was this young, young man, uh, maybe mid to late twenties. And um, he was already in a position higher than I was. Okay. Now I had more education, more experience, you know, but he was always already in a position higher than I was. And so I'm doing this training on unconscious bias and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he says, I, I just have a question to ask. He said, why is this necessary? Why do we have to do this? Mm. And I asked him a very simple question. I said, how many people in leadership look like you? Mm-hmm. He answered, I said, how many people in senior leadership look like me? Right. And the answer was zero. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, I get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> um, but, you know, when, when you're used to seeing people who look like you in leadership, right? Right. You have, you know that, hey, this is this is easy, right? Like I, I know I'll get to the top. I know I'll advance my career because I see people who look like me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, when you, when you look at the five fortune 500 list, 
you look at commercials or you look at media, they always see someone who looks like them in leadership. Mm-hmm. That is the norm. So to see anything outside of the norm makes people feel uncomfortable. And it's really interesting because I, that's why I think I always tell people, you know, expand your circle, expand the people who you have as alliances and try to get into what they're into, because it is really hard to see things from another person's perspective when you're in that same, like you mentioned earlier, it's about wanting to connect with people who are just like you. Yes. So if I'm in that same, you know, everybody's doing the same thing I'm doing and seeing the same things as I see, surely I will not be able to recognize what are some of the pain points for other people. So yeah, just like you say, it becomes a stark reality for people of color and women when they are in a space where they know they can do, they know they should have, they know they're qualified for, but they're denied that opportunity in a lot of ways that are unconscious, like you say, but it's very obvious. It becomes very obvious to us. When I go and research a company um, that might want to do business with me, I go out and I look at their about us page, right? Mm-hmm. And they got a board of directors and all this and who's in the top leadership. And it becomes very... I mean, I can determine a lot from that company just by looking at, you know, who they found to um, to help lead their organization. And if there's not enough diversity in that leadership, I know they're missing huge segments of the population in terms of how they do business and who they hire. Uh, Because it's very telling if you can't see that your whole board, your whole executive team is very homogenous, then you're missing out on what the needs are of the people who you might be serving internally and externally. So you're right on point with that. It's, it's, um, it's really a challenge. So how do you, how do you express that to people, Elizabeth? I like what you just said in, in, in bringing that to the forefront for that young man, but how do we go on a larger scale with helping people to understand that there are some things that just aren't, you know, life isn't fair. I know people can fall back on that, but here's something we can change, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think I'm, I'm really big on facts, right? I'm, I'm big on, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the data, right? Because data doesn't lie. Right. And so just like that example that you gave, there was a company that I was speaking with about doing some DEI work. And I went and looked at their website, just like you, and they had pictures of everyone um, that worked for the company. And there were probably about 200 people, Mm -hmm. not one person of color. See, not one. And so I had the conversation. They said, you know, I think we're good with DEI. I don't think we we need any help. And Ah. And I said, but you don't have any people of color who work for you. You have 200 employees. You don't have any people of color. <laughs> well, there, you know, this, this industry, you know, then there's the excuse this industry, you know, there's not a pipeline of talent, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you have to start asking hard questions. You know, right. um, I think that the time for us to be kind you know, uh, for so long, unconscious bias was the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and that kind of allowed us to have an excuse like, well, it's my unconscious bias, right? But mm-hmm. I think we're at a time where we have to move past that and we have to really look at the intentionality, mm-hmm. okay? Um, because you have to be intentional to build a diverse workforce. It does right. not happen by accident. That's and right. so just like you intentionally did not build it, now you have to flip that intentionality. Mm-hmm. And so I'm all for asking the hard questions like, okay, well, why is, you know, why 
do you not have a diverse workforce? And then let's bust those excuses, right? Because not having a diverse pipeline, not, not being able to find the talent, that's not true. You just have to be intentional about where you look. You know, are you recruiting from historically black colleges and universities? Are you looking at diverse associations like the National Society of Black Engineers? You know, it, we need to be intentional about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And so there you go. They would not know that if they don't have, uh, you know, a diverse uh, leadership or even just somebody in their organization. And that's the importance of having somebody mm -hmm. unlike you there to bring you to expand your view, because surely enough, you're only going to see things from one, uh, one particular perspective and other people are losing out. And so and here's another area where I think uh, organizations tend to fool themselves where they think they're diverse, but they're not uh, when they have minorities on the uh, in their workforce but they're all at the lower level of the organization yes. right they're yes. all working yeah the higher up you go in that organization the whiter and the more male the faces become so we're missing out we're thinking we're doing a great job i've worked with several companies like that and they're international companies and so mm -hmm. they have to make uh, you know really be cognizant of how they present themselves because in the U.S., even though they're an international company, yeah, if we have our international meetings, oh, there are all kinds of people from all kinds of countries and walks of life. But if you look only at the U.S., there's like one or two Black people in the mm -hmm. whole country. And so I've had that experience a lot. So yeah, it's about being deliberate about choosing who you're going to have. Now, how do, how do, we, how do we deal with the pushback you'll get um, Elizabeth, when people say, well, that's uh, so you're all for affirmative action then, right? So now we're dealing with, quote, reverse discrimination and all those little arguments that come out of being deliberate around choosing uh, minorities to be a part of your organization. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So I want to also address what you said about the levels within the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, when I work with organizations, I always tell them the goal is that you need to represent your community and those you serve at every level of the organization. That's so right. you're absolutely right. Just being diverse at the entry level is not enough. You need to have that reflected throughout the entire organization. Um, now, you're right. Affirm a lot of people will bring up affirmative action. What that does is that when they say that, they are implying that you are bringing people on just because of their color mm -hmm. and not because they are talented and worthy. And that is extremely disrespectful. Right. And we need to get over that thought because people of color are just as brilliant, just as talented, just as hardworking. Right. Absolutely. And so it is about hiring the best person. And if you have two people that are equal, affirmative action says pick the person who is the minority. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, there is and I think we have to even go back to the recruiting process because there's a study by Harvard that says if you only have one woman or person of color during your interview process, there's practically a zero percent chance that that person will get hired. Wow. And so you even need to make sure that your interview pool is diverse. Right. Mm -hmm. You make sure mm -hmm. that your interview panel is diverse. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm all for let's change systems. Let's change people, but also let's change systems. Yeah. So that yeah. we can be as fair as possible. Absolutely. Because those numbers aren't just low for minority uh, minority groups. But I mean, well, 
when I look at when I look within minority groups, so when I look at people with disabilities as well, mm-hmm. you know, they, I mean, very talented, very knowledgeable, very skilled people, but because they have some type of disability, they're less likely to be picked for a particular position or probably even interviewed or sought out. And that's the thing. It's about seeking out people Mm -hmm. who might not ordinarily, they're underrepresented because there's nobody reaching out to them. And as hard as they try, like you say, in these systems that we have, we're bringing all of these biases with us. So even if a minority comes into your workspace and wants to apply for a position, what are you looking at? You know, are you really looking at their qualifications? Are you letting your individual biases get in the way of you making um, a fair judgment about that person? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's you, when you mention people with disabilities, that's such an overlooked group. But think about the way that people who have disabilities, ha- think about their adaptability. My mm-hmm. goodness. Think right? about the innovation, mm-hmm. the way that they have to approach the world and change things so that they can approach the world. I mean, my goodness, we're missing out on such a pool of talent. Absolutely. And innovative thinkers. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, and, and, but a, a lot of people just want you to come in and to conform and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, do as they do and all of these things without wanting to make reasonable accommodations to make it necessary for a person to be able to do that job and to do it well. And so they're just, they're just, there's work to be done in connecting with society and with different people. Yes. It's not going to be easy all the time. You might not have all the answers. You're going to make some mistakes along the way. There's some things you don't know, but until you reach out to those people and bring them into the fold, Uh, you'll stay ignorant. And I think there are people who like to be ignorant. There's this willful ignorance that exists right now in our society and and folks are comfortable with that. And anytime you try to shake that up just a little bit, oh my goodness, they act like you're trying to burn their house down or something, you know? Listen, absolutely. If if the system is working for you, why would you want to change it? Mm -hmm. Right? What, what do, if, if you cannot see a direct benefit for yourself, why would you want to change it? And I'll tell you what, let's talk about this word culture, because I, the corporate culture, it kind of makes my, my hair stand on end Mm -hmm. because I've used, I've heard people use that to deny a person of color an opportunity, Mm. right to say i'm not sure they fit into our into our our corporate culture Mm -hmm. what does that mean Mm. right um i've heard people say i'm not going to hire anyone i don't feel comfortable going to happy happy hour with wow well that cuts out a whole lot of people right (laughs) um so this is how this is how those are some of the ways that people continue to be biased, that Mm -hmm. people, like you said, willful ignorance, they continue this system of inequity. Mm. So we've got to change that. And I'm going to take a quick break, Elizabeth. And when we come back, let's talk about some ways in which uh, if anybody really wants to make that change happen, what does it look like in the workplace and in society? We'll be right back with Radiance and Resilience. Everyone wants to go to work in an environment where they feel respected and accepted for the great work they do. Unfortunately, there are environments where minorities feel discriminated against and treated unfairly even as they are underrepresented in their workplaces. They face microaggressions and bias from bosses and coworkers. For those who carry these actions out unconsciously, they often offend without realizing it. Part of great leadership is creating a workplace where everyone feels appreciated and accepted. But it takes work, 
and education around diversity, equity, and inclusion matters to get there. All companies could benefit from development in these areas, and taking the time to invest in your employees' growth in diversity matters is a great way to do business. At Sharper Development Solutions, we're happy to help you make your organization a place of high productivity and fairness, and an all-around great place to work. Call us today at 803-622-4511 to set up a consult. So we're back. I'm speaking with Elizabeth Ruffin. She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert because she does all this wonderful training, don't you, Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been focusing on equity today because I think it's an important aspect of these diversity matters that sometimes gets overlooked. And we're talking about what it looks like. What, what do we need to do to create a more equitable space for ourselves, both in our communities and even in our workplaces? Yes, great question. I'm going to go back to uh, my comment about the track field right, with the staggered starts and with systems. So we all have bias. While we can mitigate it to some level, you'll never be able to fully remove bias from a person. And so I'm all about how do we create systems to mitigate the bias that we bring to the table. So when I think about like the recruiting process, for example, right, um, how can we mitigate that bias? So, you know, I'm all for, let's have some blind resume reviews. Let's take off names and possibly colleges from resumes for that initial review um, Mm -hmm. to remove that bias, right? Let's make sure that we have diverse panels um, and diverse, you know, the people who are reviewing the, the interviews, let's make sure that we don't have a homogeneous group, right? But that mm-hmm. we're bringing the diversity into that. Um, you know, I think consistency is a huge part. You know, when you look at promotions within an organization, you don't see consistency, right? It might be like, well, this person had, you know, had to have this many years of experience where this person didn't. Um, So how can you put consistency around your recommendations and your requirements and your processes to mitigate some of that bias, Mm -hmm. right? And like we talked about earlier, having diverse leadership certainly helps because if you have people at the table who can say, wait a minute, I'm not sure that that we're being equitable here. Let's Mm -hmm. go back and look at this, right? So you really have to have accountability at that leadership level. And I believe you need to have the systems in it. And then I would say on a personal level, you you mentioned it earlier, you have to diversify your world. If if you're a white man and you, you only speak to white men at work, you're only around white people in your personal, right? You may not feel comfortable around people of color because you don't practice that on a daily basis. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we're in COVID right now. So I, I, my suggestions would be different if we weren't kind of going through this pandemic, but you know, what can you, what books can you be reading? What podcasts can you be listening to? How can you diversify the things you're watching? Right. How can you have a greater worldview? Open up that worldview. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and, and I want to go, cause you were talking about asking hard questions. So what are some hard questions people should ask themselves when they are, you know, in, in all of these systems changes that you're talking about, how do they hold themselves accountable by being a little bit more introspective mm-hmm. and saying, you know, maybe we aren't as diverse or as equitable as we should be. What are some of those questions they should be asking? Absolutely. Um, you know, one is what are the biases that I have? Mm. 
and how have they come across in the way that I work? That's important. Like you Mm -hmm. said, introspection is first awareness, self-awareness. Yeah. So how have my biases come across? Um, Have I noticed biases in anyone on my team? Mm -hmm. Right. And then also asking other people, hey, I need you to hold me accountable. When when you see me acting in a biased way, call me out on it. Make me aware (laughs) of it. Right. Oh my goodness. Oh, if we could <laughs> Yeah. You could stop right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Giving people permission to pull your coattails when you're not doing the right things. How about if we could just allow uh, just allow people to do that? People are so afraid to uh, of retaliation. Mm-hmm. You know, because if they say something and we've heard it all especially through now that we have dealt with all of the issues that have been coming about with all the protesting, we've heard it over and over again to say nothing is to be complete. So now, and even John Lewis, we just buried John Lewis yesterday. And that was one of the things he said that inspired him about Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, you have to speak up. Yes. If you see things, you have to speak up. So now people are trying to speak up more, but there are those other voices out there that are trying to tamp, tamp that down. They're trying to, you know, derail it, deflect, or just dismiss it in some way. And so I agree with you totally. It's about that accountability part. Speak up. And I'm going to tell you this from, because I deal with mostly organizations, that's the perspective I'm coming from, but mm-hmm. organizational leaders, this is the time for you to really draw the line in the sand, mm. right? This is the time for you to say, this is who we are. This is who we want to be. And these are our values. And if you don't believe in our values, then maybe you need to look for a, a job somewhere else. But this is where we're currently going. Mm-hmm. because leadership is so key to this Yeah, that if you have leaders who are firm in their understanding, firm in their action and firm in their allyship, then they're saying, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. And this is the, you know, when you think about, I know like every year when I was in corporate America, we had to take, um, training, right, on, um, you know, how to make sure that we kept data safe, mm-hmm. right? Every year I had to take that training. And every year I, and every day I was accountable for making sure I kept data safe. Why is it not the same hmm. for DEI? Hmm. Why are we not holding everyone in an organization accountable for being inclusive and equitable? It's Absolutely. the same thing. Yes. And, and, and to me, even more important, because you're talking about people's lives, Yes, you know, so even not just whether they will continue to live, but how they live, how they exist. You know, I might not be able to make as much money as I need to make or am qualified or capable of making simply because somebody else doesn't feel like I deserve it. Yes. And so that affects my entire life. You know, how I'm able to live, how I'm able to take care of myself and my family and all those things. And so it is really important. That is a really great analogy when data becomes more important than people, when money becomes more important than people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this has been fantastic, Elizabeth. I really do appreciate your insight and your perspective. I'm sure we have helped somebody today. So if it's no more than just to ask themselves those questions that you brought up and to challenge ourselves to be more introspective and more self-aware and how we show up in this whole area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and are we being as equitable as we can be? Are we being as fair and non-judgmental as we can be? So thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate you and I hope you'll come back. Yes, sure enough. Thank you for having me.
All right. You enjoy. Okay. Leadership development is an essential part of doing good business. In order to lead productive teams, reduce costly turnover, and create a workplace that people love to come to every day, leaders need to have the skills to build relationships and establish culture. Those skills include strategic planning and thinking, managing conflict, engaging employees, and supporting cohesive and collaborative teams. Mastering these skills lead to high productivity and profits. At Sharper Development Solutions, we help develop your leaders through training and coaching. Give us a call today at 803-622-4511 to see how we can customize a training program for you.